Well, good morning. Welcome to Word of Life Chapel. Would you stand with us to worship the Lord together this morning? And some glad morning when this night is over, Thank you. 
nations with truth and justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance the king of glory the king above all kings this is amazing grace this is amazing grace this is unfailing love
singing, would you take a moment to turn around and greet those around you in Jesus' name this morning? Again, welcome to Word of Life Chapel. We're so glad that, that you are here, that we're able to worship the Lord together this morning. Um, something that we all look forward to every single week, being able to gather together to lift up um, the one true God. Uh, a couple of announcements to share with you this morning. If you could open your bulletin with me and you can kind of follow along. First of all, we're planning a baptismal service on Sunday, August 6th at 7 p.m. If you are interested, please see Pastor Bob. So a baptismal service in August. And if you are interested in, in being baptized, um, you, can, you can talk to Pastor Bob. Um, VBS is July 17th through the 21st. Inside of your bulletin is a piece of paper. If you can take it out and hold it up for me. It says VBS. That way I know everybody has it, because if you don't have one, we want to get it for you. All right, good. 
Um, VBS work week, we need your help cutting out, painting, props, decorations, and setting different things up. These are different times that um, there'll be different people here at the church getting things ready for Vacation Bible School. If that's something you're interested in doing, maybe you're not able to come out VBS week, um, but you'd like to help with, with some of these different things, please see Sarah English. She'll be able to give you uh, some more information um, in regards to that. Sarah's sitting up here in the front, just in case anybody doesn't know who she is. Um, Youth group, 5 to 6.30, prayer meeting at 5.30 tonight, both here at the church. Uh, let's open our service with a word of prayer this morning. Lord, we are so thankful to be here today. God, you're a good God. You're a loving God, a kind God, and a just God. Lord, we, we celebrate the fact that we are able to gather together freely in a free nation. Lord, we ask that you would move in this place this morning. Father, may you... Speak the words that you want us to hear. Father, may nobody leave this service this morning, the same person that they were when they walked in. Father, use Pastor Bob's words this morning to, to reach into the deepest parts of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it's always a joy to be able to dedicate children it's always good to look around and see all the kids. Uh, you know, these kids are the, are the future of this church. And um, we're just happy to have uh, so many uh, come and join us each Sunday morning. And many more are downstairs and they're involved in different things that are taking place. Uh, but we have a child dedication this morning. Um, Rowan Faye Snyder. And this is the uh, daughter of uh, Jared and Sammy. And I'm going to ask if you guys would come front and um, <laughs> if you stand right here, please, and face everyone, that would be great. That would be great. You know, child dedication is really as much about parents as it is about children uh, because it's you that are dedicating your child uh, to the Lord. Uh, you are saying before God and before these witnesses, are you going to do the best you can do? Uh, with God's help, of course. Uh, we know it's not easy today to raise children, uh, not easy today to bring up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but with God's help and with the support of a church family, uh, we pray and trust that uh, you, will, uh, you will do that. Uh, so, uh, having said that, I have some questions I would like to ask of you. And uh, wait till I've asked all five of them, and then uh, you s please say, we do. Do you, Jared and Sammy, both testify that you have personally received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? And secondly, do you testify that Jesus will be at the center of your home, and that the Bible will be honored as the Word of God? Don't you love this? Somebody made that, right? Actually, my mom got it for her. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. My goodness, I keep looking at that. That's neat. <laughs> Sorry, right in the middle of these very serious questions. You know where my mind is, right? I'm thinking about this little girl. That is so neat. Rowan, look here. Oh. Oh, my. Isn't she cute? All right, that's all right. Let's come back. And thirdly, do you testify that by committing your daughter to the Lord, that your desire is that she too someday 
uh, would receive Christ as her own personal Savior? And fourthly, do you testify that you will invest time, energy, devotion, and prayer for your daughter and help her to cultivate a relationship with Christ? And then finally, do you testify that you need God's help to be godly parents for your daughter? If so, please say, we do. It has been our tradition here at Word of Life Chapel to also have you guys um, respond as well. Uh, you know, you have now witnessed this dedication, and we also ask something of all of you. And so I ask you as a congregation this morning, do you as a congregation, as members of this body of believers, do you promise to help this couple in raising this child, to encourage them in their responsibilities, to provide an atmosphere of love and concern for them and their child, and to pray diligently for the well-being of this family. If so, would you please say, we do. Amen. Father, we thank you for this little girl Lord, so much life ahead of her. Father, we thank you for Jared and Sammy and for their dedication to you, that they have trusted you, that they have believed in Jesus for their own salvation. They want the best for this little girl. They want for her, too, to know you in a personal way. Father, give them wisdom. Give them the ability to be able to guide and direct this little child in the way she should go. Father, we know with your help, we trust with your help, that, Father, this little girl would grow up to be a godly young lady. So bless this family. Bless this family richly, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you folks. Jared, let me give you that. Oh, Rowan, God bless you, little girl. Oh, she is so good. Is she always this good? No. <laughs> Most times. I'm, I'm sure. Well, God bless you. God bless you, Jared. God bless you. All right, that's, that's special. That's very special. You know, we go from the joy of a little girl being dedicated to the Lord to the announcement I am about to make. Um, I received a text this morning from Karen Ozenbach, and Denise Headings Nolt had passed away early this morning. So we do need to keep that family before the Lord. Uh, we don't have any more details than that. Um, just a young lady, I think around 45 years of age, one who grew up in this church. You know, we knew her quite well, the family. And so I know we're all, our hearts are broken, you know, to have that kind of news. I mean, we knew it was coming. She had suffered greatly. Um, she actually was taken to a hospice house uh, just recently, in order that they might be able to control the pain. Um, you know, the Bible says in Revelation 21, 
Uh, for her now, uh, there is no more sorrow. There's no more pain, and there's no more suffering. Uh, it's those now who have been left behind. Uh, we now sorrow and grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Uh, Denise knew the Lord. We know that. And so the Bible is quite clear when it says to be absent from this body is to be in the very presence of God. And we believe that. We believe that she now is at home with her Lord. And so that's good news. Let's come before God and let's just ask God to comfort the Headings Ozenbach family uh, that they might be granted the great peace that God has promised. Father, we come before you this morning. Our hearts are broken. Father, we're coming before you with great sadness. But you have instructed us to cast all of our care upon you because you care so much for us. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that we can come before the throne of grace to find help in times of need. Lord, I think of Marvin and Elsie, parents who have lost a child. I think of brothers. I think of a sister. I think of family members. And those here, Lord, that have known Denise for quite some time, Lord, we pray that you might grant comfort as only you are able. Lord, we know that you are the God of all comfort. And so we pray that you would grant that comfort. And help keep us reminded of the fact that, uh, Father, though we grieve and though we shed the tears, uh, we do so, but not as those who have no hope. Our hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me. We thank you, Father, for her salvation and for the assurance and the confidence that she is now in your very presence. That's good news. Paul says it's far better, far better to be in your presence than to be here on earth. But do comfort those who are left behind. So we do pray for this whole situation, her husband, Lord. They haven't been married that awfully long. For Brian, Lord, we do pray that, Father, during this time of loss, that he might draw close to you, that you might be his strength in this time of weakness. So, Father, we commit these folks to you, and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Leonard's going to come and lead us in a hymn before the message and camped along the hills of light, hymn number 453. This hymn, this hymn says, Encamped along the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers rise and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. This is a reminder that we are in a spiritual battle. battle. But then the refrain says, Faith is a victory. Faith is a victory that overcomes the world. I'd like you to stand with me as we sing this together and pay close attention to the words that we're singing because we are in a spiritual battle. <clears throat>
church can be dismissed and you may be seated. Well, we've been in the book of Joshua and we're working our way through, not every chapter, uh, but we're trying to highlight some of the great events that are recorded for us in that book. Israel is now across the Jordan River. Last week, uh, God performed a great miracle in bringing them across that river. Now that they're in the promised land, it's time now to fight. It's time now to go to war. It's not time now to do battle. Because the Canaanites in the land have to be destroyed so that they can live in that land. Well, the first city they face is a city by the name of Jericho. They now come to a place called Jericho. Now, God said to Joshua in chapter 1 that no one will be able to stand up against you. God made a promise to Joshua that no one would be able to stand up against them. He also said to Joshua, I will give you every place where you set your foot. This, Joshua, is your land. This is the promised land. This is the land that is flowing with, with milk and honey. But that doesn't mean that the land comes easy. It doesn't mean 
that's going to be handed on a silver platter. There will be wars and battles and fights and skirmishes. So they come to Jericho, a fortified city, a city with massive, massive walls, to an Israelite soldier standing there, looking at Jericho. It must have looked like an unreasonable mission to go against it. Victory must have seemed impossible. But God said, in the text we're going to read this morning, that I, God, I have delivered this city into your hands. I have delivered this city into your hands. We as Christians, we are living in days of battle and spiritual warfare. We struggle. We struggle because we have a great enemy, a powerful foe. And we need to know as Christians how to fight. We need to know how to fight. And we also need to know that it's God who gives victory. That God is on our side as he's on the side of the Israelites. And as Israel faced these these mighty walls of Jericho, we face walls as well and obstacles. And we need to know how we can overcome each of them. So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 6. Reading a story that we learned as children. Every children's Sunday school class talks about the walls of Jericho that came tumbling down. And so this morning we read of that event in Joshua chapter 6. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out. No one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them, sound a long blast on the trumpets. Have the whole army give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, he called the priests, and he said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And have seven priests carry the trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord, they went forward, blowing their trumpets. And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched, marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, 
and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests, they took the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord. When the trumpets kept sounding, while the trumpets kept sounding, so on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, the priest sounded the trumpet blast. Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in the house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone char charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with a sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. What a story. What a miracle. We begin this morning by looking at the problem that Israel had. Israel had a problem. The problem was these massive walls. The Bible says in verse 1 that this city was securely barred. It was tightly shut. Well, that's an understatement. Let me describe these walls for you. And I, I, I said it in the plural because there were two of them. According to historians, there were two walls. The outer wall was thick, six feet thick, 20 feet high. The inner wall was 12 feet thick and 30 feet high. And between these two walls was a 15-foot walkway with armed guards. Israel had a problem. How in the world do we get inside this city? Jericho was said to be one of the oldest, if not the oldest cities in the world. It was surrounded by these two massive walls. The people inside were wicked. They were very evil people. The city was filled with crime, corruption, carnality. Israel's problem was how do we penetrate the walls 
to get to the people. How do we get through? Jericho, I believe, is a good example of the strength that the enemy has for us. The Bible speaks of the devil as a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. We try to stand up against him and we have no strength. We have no power. We have no might against this powerful foe. And Satan puts up these walls in front of us, these, these obstacles, if you will, keeping us from victory, keeping us from becoming overcomers, keeping us from the joy, the peace, and contentment that we ought to be experiencing. So what is that wall that Satan has placed in front of you? That wall that brings discouragement and disappointment and despair. What is this powerful foe placing before you this morning? Maybe it's financial troubles that just stress you out. Or family issues that tear at your heart. Temptation that, that just won't let go. Or a million other things that are keeping you from where God wants you to be. These stumbling blocks, these, these obstacles, these walls were a big problem for Israel. How do we penetrate them? How do we get through? But God also gave them a promise. I referred to this promise earlier in verse 2. The promise is this. He's, God says in verse 2, I have delivered... Jericho into your hands. I have already delivered the city into your hands. As Israel stands looking at these massive walls, God gives them a word of encouragement, a word of comfort, a word of promise that victory is yours. God gives them the conclusion of the battle before the attack. God says, I have already delivered the city into your hands. God said, I know what you see, but I have given you the city. It's already yours. I spoke it. I ordained it. Consider it done. Consider it done. Back in Romans chapter 8, we have this wonderful passage of God instructing us that, that, that we are more than conquerors. That we are more than conquerors. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 31, we read these words. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Think of that. If, if God is on our side, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God who justifies? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, 
is at the right hand of God who is also interceding for us. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father and he's praying for you? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. More than conquerors. Our victory comes from God alone. We're going to come back to this verse in verse 37, that we are more than conquerors. We're actually going to end on that note this morning. I want to conclude with that, that we are more than conquerors, to know that God is on our side. We were not saved to be defeated. Jesus saved us for victory. But thanks be to God, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, thanks be to God who gives us this victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We sometimes think, you know, Life is just about being defeated and discouraged and disappointed. We weren't saved for that. We were saved for victory. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We think that Satan has the upper hand. He doesn't have the upper hand. He's a powerful foe. A powerful foe. But the Bible says that greater is he that is in you, Jesus Christ, than he that is in the world. Israel had a problem, but Israel was also given a great promise. I have already given you victory. Before you march around that, I've already, before you, I have given you victory. I have delivered this city into your hands. Paul already said, we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. Victory is ours. But Israel also had a partner. I don't know if you noticed as I was reading through this passage, the, the number of times it's, that the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned. Remember back in the crossing of the Jordan River and the Ark had the place of prominence? It, was the, the, it signifies the very presence of God. This piece of furniture that was placed in the Old Testament tabernacle and then in the temple. It signified the very presence of God. And here, the ark is going to be marching with the people and the priests and the soldiers as they go round and round the city. The ark is right there among them. And it signifies, this is an, a quote from the NIV Study Bible, but the ark signified the Lord was laying siege to the city. The Lord was laying siege to the city. This is the Lord's battle. This is his battle. There's no way the Israelites could bring down these walls. It's not their battle. All they need to do is, by faith, follow the plan and strategy of God. The ark signifies the presence of God. The presence of God. And the presence of God in this situation is critical. It's critical. It's the defining characteristic of victory. 
God's presence is essential for victory. And then God sets forth the plan, the strategy, how these walls are going to come down. And I suppose we could summarize this whole plan this way. God's ways are not our ways. Who in their right mind would think that this kind of strategy could work? You go round and round and round and round and the walls come tumbling down. Makes no sense in our thought, in our minds, but God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God does things so differently than we do. No ordinary weapons are going to be used. There's going to be no battering rams to bring down the walls, no scaling ladders to go up over top. But seven priests, seven trumpets, seven days, seven circuits. That number seven is interesting in the Bible. When you see the number seven, uh, it means completion or perfection. This is the perfect strategy. Though foolish to men, this is God's perfect, perfect strategy. No battle strategy could have appeared more unreasonable. But this is not a military, physical battle. This is a religious, spiritual battle. Again, I would like for you to turn, if you have your Bibles, to the book of Ephesians. If not, just follow along on the screen. Because we too, as Christians, we are in, we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual warfare. And the weapons we use to have victory are not ordinary weapons. They, it can't be. Because it's spiritual warfare. So back in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul speaks of the armor of God. The armor of God, putting this armor on. Notice what he says in verse 11. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but, okay, here's our struggle, who our struggle is with. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. And so God then goes on to explain this armor, this armor that we are to put on. This armor that we are to put on. And the armor is not the armor that you would in a conventional battle, like a military or physical battle. So when you come to a place where you're struggling, let's say, with lust, that's a spiritual battle. So what do you do? Well, one of the pieces of armor is prayer. When you struggle, you pray. And so you come to the place in your life where uh, you um, are trying to conquer some bad habit. How do you conquer that? You read your Bible more. You see, it's the sword of the Spirit. It doesn't seem to make sense, does it? 
I, I'm trying to, I'm struggling with lust. I'm trying to stop that or stop a bad habit or give up something. How do I do that? Muster up strength within myself? No, you don't have the power to do that. This is a spiritual battle. And so you use spiritual weaponry, like prayer, like Bible study, like Bible memorization, like meditation. These are the things in which you can claim victory. You know, it's a blessing to know that, you know, we don't have to face spiritual warfare alone. The ark signifies the presence of God. We have the presence of God with us. And God says, I've had the, I have this strategy. I want you to pray. I want you to pray without ceasing. I want you to read your Bibles and study the word of God. I want you to learn who I am. And these are the things that bring about victory. We don't have the power or the strength to fight the enemy. But greater is he that is in you. Now, when you became a Christian, and you humbled yourself before Almighty God, and you trusted in Jesus for the salvation of your soul, and you believed that the blood of Jesus Christ might cleanse you from all sin, and you recognized the fact that Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he is the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him, when you come to that place in your life where you acknowledge your sin before him and you come into the family of God through Jesus alone, Jesus, the Bible says, he takes up residence inside of you, the spirit of Christ. You have in you the strength, the resources, and the power to be victorious and to live a life of being a super conqueror, which is really what that phrase means, more than a conqueror. You can be a super conqueror. There's nothing in this life that ought to defeat you. Not because you can win and have the power, but because of who lives within you has the strength and the power. Christ is far greater than Satan. There's no comparison. So that's why it says greater is he, Christ, living in you than all of these powers that are in the world. We have a partner in spiritual warfare. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then finally, Israel prevailed. In the following verses, 6 through 21, most of what we read they go round and round and round and round. And on the seventh lap, they blast their trumpets. They shout real loud, and the walls fall down. End of story. Well, maybe not really. Because in verse 21, it says this. They devoted the city to the Lord. They destroyed with a sword every living thing in it. Men, women, young, old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Sounds like kind of a harsh way to treat one's enemies, doesn't it? But remember, this is a picture of how God wants for us to deal with the enemies and the sins in our lives. God wants us to rid our life, mortify the flesh, the King James says. Put to death the old sin in our lives. 
God doesn't say keep a few around. God says destroy sin in your life. Destroy the evil and destroy the wickedness. Get rid of it all. Now it takes a lifetime of battles. We know that. We know we can't just snap our fingers and all of a sudden we're sin free. That doesn't, isn't going to happen. That day is coming. You know, the Bible says someday we'll be sin free and pain free and sorrow free, but not right now. But we are to work pretty hard and discipline ourselves in these battles to rid ourselves of sin. But it's God who gives victory. It's God who gives us the victory. We don't have the strength to do that in our own power. If you note the reasons Israel experienced victory, first of all, they had a word from God. They had a promise. I have delivered already. I have already delivered. They had a word from God, a promise. They also believed God, and they acted in faith, doing things God's way, following God's strategy, following God's plan. You can't do it any other way. To summarize their victory, it's trust and obey, for there's no other way. That's what they did. They trusted God. As foolish as this strategy may have seemed, they trusted God and they obeyed. And God gave them victory. I come back now to these three words, more than conquers. Actually, on your insert, um, I, I wrote them at the bottom, more than conquers, because I found a good definition of what that means. What does it mean we are more? We're not just conquerors, but that word more is stuck in there, right? We're more than conquerors. One translation, super conquerors. Someone said this, before you ever get a problem, you already know that you can overcome it through Christ. Before you ever get a problem, before you're ever put in that situation, before you ever get to that place, you know that through Christ, you can overcome. You don't have to be destroyed and devastated. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Notice through Christ. It's not you mustering up the strength. That's what we often do. That's what we often do. We think that somehow I can do this. No, you can't. It's spiritual warfare. And in spiritual warfare, we need God. We need Him to help. And so we live with confidence. We go through life with great confidence, knowing that God loves us. And that's in the context of more than conquerors, right? It speaks about how much God loves us. That we can't be even separated. Nothing can separate us from that love. To go through life and know that we are unconditionally loved by Almighty God. And nothing can break that. There's nothing I can do to cause God to love me any less. We go through life knowing that God loves us and that we are never forsaken. That God is always on our side. He's walking with us and he's going through everything we are going through. It's that kind of relationship that we need to understand. 
that God loves me. He's always on my side. And so when things come into my life, the bad news, those things that are unexpected, those things that I haven't planned, those things I don't even want, when all of those things come into my life, we're not devastated and we're not destroyed by this bad news because we know that God still loves me and God is on my side and I can have victory through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I encourage you this morning, as I've been doing in Sunday school, um, Sunday night in prayer meeting tonight, I'm going to probably say a few more things about this same thing. It's just something that I've been thinking through. It's, it's understanding who God is. It's understanding who God is and how much he really cares about me. How much he really does love me. How good he is. How many blessings he has bestowed. How deeply, deeply he cares about all of us. And so when we come to a situation, whatever that might be, God, he knows all about it. God isn't surprised by it. He sees you. He, he hears the cry of your heart. God's ways may not be our ways. We know they're not. God's thought, thoughts, they're just not our thoughts. But they're always the right ways, and they're always the best ways. And so we're instructed and commanded to follow him, to trust him, to obey him, for there's no better way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. I'm going to pray. The praise team is going to come and lead us in a great closing hymn. Victory in Jesus. Boy, there's no better way to close a service like this than to sing that song. So as they come, let me pray. Father, I come before you this morning. I know, Lord, there are many here who are struggling. Father, the battles are real. But Father, the battles are spiritual. Help us as your children to understand that and to lean on you, to draw from your strength. Father, you are on our side. You are a good God, a very good God. So, Father, I pray that as we leave this place, we might leave encouraged, knowing that we don't have to live lives of defeat, but of victory, because greater is Jesus Christ in us than any foe in this world. For that we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Got to stand up for this song, folks. We got to stand. And I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me.
Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. 